This podcast is brought to you by the Administrative Committee of the Presbyterian Church in America, promoting the unity, purity, and progress of the church. Learn more about the Administrative Committee and support its work at pcaac.org. This is Gifts and Graces. Each episode, we bring you a seminar, sermon, or discussion from church leaders across the country and around the world designed to promote the unity, purity, and progress of the church. All Christians have communion in each other's gifts and graces, says the Westminster Confession. So on this podcast, we help you and your church benefit from the gifts and graces of other parts of Christ's body. On this episode of Gifts and Graces, we have for you a sermon from Randy Pope. Randy is the founding pastor of Perimeter Church outside of Atlanta, Georgia. After four decades as lead pastor, Randy transitioned to serve as an assistant pastor at the church and lead its life-on-life discipleship ministry. This sermon was originally recorded in June 2018 at the PCA General Assembly in Atlanta, Georgia. You know, the only disappointment that I have about the assembly ending early uh, last evening is that I cannot make a formal protest against being asked to speak after Joe Novison. <laughs> that, uh, that's an injustice of some sort. I think it uh, should be dealt with. But God has me here, and I pray God will use these few minutes together. This is a devotion. And as a devotion, I'd like to think of it as a moment of equipping from God's Word. My only prayer would be that God might use this in any small way in comparison to how He's used it in my life. Uh, This teaching, this truth, of all truths that I think of for the Christian community, this is the truth. Would you pray with me one more time? Father, we're going to ask you now that you would speak to us, to our hearts in a very special way, and that you might instill in us truth in a way that we might turn and equip the saints that you have put in our charge as overseers, as elders and pastors of churches. God, we pray, use this moment, and we ask it in the great name of Christ our Savior. Amen. I choose this uh, particular topic because of the theme that uh, we are addressing in the entire assembly. We're talking about loving God, loving others. The question is, how do you do that? I think we're beginning to to think correctly about the importance of love and, and areas that we have not loved well. But I want to make sure that we are also thinking clearly about how do we go about finding the ability to do what God has called us to do. I think there is a need from my perspective. There's a need in our family of churches that we love so much called the PCA. And that is for emphasis on the work of the Holy Spirit. Now I, like many of you, are so concerned about the abuse of the teaching of the Holy Spirit. But what I fear is that in the in the hesitancy of, of, of maybe following or being perceived to be believing something that we certainly wouldn't hold to in our understanding of the theology of the, of the Spirit of God. And maybe we neglect that teaching. 
So, for those reasons, I'm going to address this question about how do you appropriate the power of God's Spirit in your life? Now, the text that I'm going to use is from Romans chapter 6, which many would look at and say, oh, Romans chapter 6, appropriating the power of the Holy Spirit. I want you to keep in mind, Romans 6 was not written by itself. It was written in the entire book of Romans. When you come to chapter 8, you see how much of the Spirit there is. I Just this morning, reading through chapter 8 again, 20 times I counted the Holy Spirit is mentioned in that one chapter of the book of Romans. Very, very important. There is a connection. Now, what I'm going to do is I don't want to insult the intelligence of a, 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 a biblical thinking church as we are, but I, I want to lay a foundation that will be known by all in the first two of three statements that I'd like to leave us with in this devotion. The first is simply there are two kinds of people in the world. Everybody knows this. There are two kinds of people. There's the natural man and there is the spiritual man. Now, the natural man, we know about the natural man. The natural man is, is, uh, is what we call in Adam. And you know that the natural man has one nature. Now, here's what we need to ask. Do our people know that? Do they know the difference in the natures that we, we carry as those who are, first of all, natural, and then those that are spiritual? Obviously, those that are spiritual are in Christ, who is called the second Adam. And in the second Adam, we now know that we have two natures. So very, very important that we all understand that, that our people understand that, which takes us to the second truth. The second truth, there are two certainties true of every spiritual person. So let's just hold aside the natural person. And let's just look and think for a minute about this that's called the spiritual person. Two natures in Christ, the second Adam. Two things that are true. Number one, they are sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. We know that. Ephesians 1.13. Once having believed or trusted, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. We will never lose that spirit. Once a true follower of Christ, we're always, we're always his. We may fall into disobedience, certainly. We all do. But we never lose that. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. So we can... We can move beyond that. Here's the second. The second truth is this. We are capable of being filled with the Spirit. F-I-L-L-E-D. Different than sealed. We're all sealed with the Holy Spirit, but we are capable of being filled with the Spirit. That's why you see so many texts that deal with the subject matter. You go to Ephesians chapter 5. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. You go to Romans chapter 8, verse 14. It talks about being led by the Spirit. You go to Galatians 5, verse 16. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Now, this is interesting. What are the desires of the flesh? Is that not all of our sin? Everything we do that's contrary to the truth of God. Every single thing. I'd put it in, in this way. I'd say, well, how about, how about hate? Would you say that hate would be one of those that we would say, okay, there is, there's one of these things called the, the desire of the flesh? Well, that's just 
The opposite of love, is it not? How about enemies? When we think about having enemies, we say, well, I, I hate my enemy. God says, no, you love your enemy. How about our spouses? How many people in our churches are saying, I, I just can't love my wife. I can't love my husband. And they say, I just can't do it. Or how about despair? Would that not fall in the category of the deeds of the flesh where the life-crushing circumstances leave us hopeless and in despair? Apathy? How many of our people are just drowning right now because they're going, I'm just, I'm just hopeless. I'm a Christian, yes, but I'm hopeless right now. It's a deed of the flesh. What about anxiety? How many of our people are waking up night after night after night saying, I can't sleep. And I lay there and I toss and I turn. I'm so anxious. I'm so, I'm just worried constantly. And what about and what about? And they're just dying in their anxiety. And God's word says, oh no, peace. It's love. It's joy. It's peace. And then you and I know that in Galatians chapter 5, you don't go much further than verse 16 and you're at 22 and it, it says the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. I mean, it's just so obvious. He says, look, here's the answer. It's you've got to be led by the Spirit of God. You've got to be filled with the Spirit of God. You've got to walk in the Spirit. That's our answer. And Paul and the other authors just constantly, you've got to do it. You've got to do it. Walk in the Spirit. And that's where we find our hope. I don't know how many experiences you might have had in your churches as pastors and elders and spouses and so forth. Uh, I'll tell you, in our church, we've had our share. I mean, how many people have I talked to through the years? And when I talk to them, they say, husband and wife, uh, we, we're, about to, we're about to end it. Are you going to end your marriage? Yeah, we can't go any further. Oh, you can't go any further? No. I said, what's the problem? We just don't love each other. You don't love each other? No. We can't love each other. So let me ask you a question. Are you a Christian? Of course we're Christians. No, absolutely we're Christians. And let me suggest this. Assuming you're a Christian, don't ever say that you can't love your spouse. What you need to say is, either I won't love my spouse, or maybe more appropriate for many. I don't know how to love my wife. I don't know how to love my husband. I wish I could, but it's, it's just gone. I can't. I'm convinced that most Christians in our churches are living a powerless life and with great morality and with great willpower are fighting hard to be good Christians and probably have not really fully comprehended what does it mean to appropriate the power of God's Spirit. It wasn't uh, that many years ago I was coming into church, driving into our facility, and, and here's a, a man who is one of our security guards, and he's coming in at the same time, but he's on a bicycle. And I see him riding on a bicycle, and I go, my goodness. I said, did you ride from your home here? He said, yeah. I said, where do you live? And he told me, and it was a long way away, and I know the topography of the area, and there's way too many hills, and I'm going, but I'm not saying it, but I'm thinking, you don't look in very good shape. How do you do that? 
But I say, I'm impressed. He said, well, don't be too impressed. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, look at my bike. I look at his bike, and it's a little bit sturdier than most bikes, but it has handlebars and pedals and look like a bike to me. I said, what about it? He said, no, 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 look down by the, look down by the pedals. And there's a little, little box about yay big. He said, that's a motor. He said, look at the handlebar. And there was a little button there. He says, you know what that is? That's a switch. He said, when I hit a hill, I just, I just hit that button and I go right up the hill. He said, it's not hard at all. And you know, I heard that and I said, is that not the perfect illustration of your and my life? What happens? We wake up in the morning and because we are God-fearers, we love our God. And we wake up before God and we say, God, I give my life to you today. I want to be yours. I want to surrender. I want to follow. I want to be yours. So I'm going to be everything you want me to be today. I'm going to really obey you today. I love you. And then we get, so to speak, on our bicycle and we start going up the first great, great hill of temptation. And we start going up that hill and we see it coming and say, oh man, Lord, I told you, I promise you, I'm going to fight this. I'm going to, I'm going to do this for your sake. And we give it everything we think we have. We don't make it halfway up that hill and we fall to the temptation, despair, anxiety, hate, whatever it may be. And we fall and we say, oh God, I'm so sorry. You gave your son for me. How can I not at least obey and follow you? So tomorrow, when I come to this hill again, I'm going to give it twice the effort. I'm going to make it. And so the next day you see that hill, you're a little concerned about it. And you say, here I go. And you give it everything you get. You get up a little bit further. You can't make it. And you get off that bicycle and you feel so down. Oh God, how can I do this? You're my savior. I'm so sorry. Tomorrow, I promise the next day, it's the same thing. And we may make it a little further, but we don't make it to the top. We still fall to the deeds of the flesh. And it didn't take many trips up that little mountain before we declare as Christians, I can't. I tried, but I just can't do it. Here'd be an interesting question that we could ask the family of the PCA. When's the last time you consciously appropriated the power of God? The power of the Holy Spirit. And I think vast, vast numbers of our people will say, what did you say about appropriating what? How, what? Well, I mean, finding God's power to make it where you're not living on mere willpower uh, I, I don't know well, like was it this week was it last month I, well, I'm not really sure now I granted I think it's possible just like you can pray at all times pray without ceasing I think without the conscious mind involved you can pray and I think the same way you can do it, being filled with the Holy Spirit I, I, don't, I don't deny that but wouldn't it be odd using the contrast of prayer to see a Christian says, oh, I, I pray without ceasing, but I don't recall last time that I actually formed words and consciously prayed a prayer to God. You'd say, what? Sure, you, but you pray. Likewise, if our community of saints are going, I'm not really sure what you're talking about. Oh, folks, we got to equip the saints here because we're preaching now a wonderful message of love.
and who we love. But you know what? We've got to know how to love. The world still needs more churches. As the National Seminary for the Presbyterian Church in America, Covenant Theological Seminary has been training pastors, counselors, and ministry leaders for the PCA for over 60 years. Now, Covenant Seminary offers a new church planting track designed specifically by church planters. You can learn more at covenantseminary.edu forward slash plant. That's covenantseminary.edu forward slash P-L-A-N-T. That takes us to the third and final statement. There are three important words in Romans chapter 6, in verses 1 through 13, that gives understanding, I think, to the filling of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to suggest three words just to pull out, and because this is a devotion, I'm not going to go in and teach the entire text. But I'm going to just give you three verses out of this. I hope you'll go home and read it in its entirety. The first word, the first word is the word know, K-N-O-W. And I just use this word out of the text to remind us of the teaching. If you look at, uh, at verse 3, it says, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Skip down to verse 6. I think a pivotal verse here. Knowing this. He comes back to it again. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. He gets down to verse 9. Look, he says it, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again, death is no longer master over him. Now, just because it's devotion, I'm not going to go in and, and show you all, but uh, most of you know this. You know what he's saying here? He says, this is what you've got to know. You've got to know that you had died to your sin. Christian, you've got to know that. And once you know you've died to your sin, you've got to know you've been buried with Christ. You've been buried in him. You've been united to him. And you've been raised to a newness of life. Let me tell you, those are truths that we have to know. You know, this is just another way of teaching what it means as we call the mystical union, Christ in us and us in him. This is the beauty of our identification in Christ. And if you go back to verse 6, if you look at verse 6, it talks about the old self. That old self. Well, what is the old self? I've asked this to hundreds and hundreds of Christians. What is the old self? And the Christian says, oh, that's your old nature. I say, I would beg to differ. I don't think that's your old nature. I think your old self, for me, it's Randy before he became a Christian. He's gone forever. You will never see me, if I'm a legitimate follower of Christ, have been brought into his family, made righteous by his son. Let me tell you, you will never see me as a non-Christian ever again. I'm telling you what, that old self has been crucified. But it moves right down in the verse and says that our body of sin might be done away with. Well, now, now we're talking about the nature, that nature of sin. It's been done away with. I think it's a very unfortunate translation. And look, in most of your 
your study Bibles and you'll see in the margin it'll say actually rendered powerless there's a good translation it's not gone but it's been rendered powerless let me illustrate imagine this is me my hand this is this is who I am and at conception this is my nature of sin and let's assume that alright here I become in this world I've been conceived I am now a slave to my sin I'm bound to that sin you see me you see sin I am sin but then something happens God in his marvelous grace by his power he changes that and we die to sin what does die mean to be separated and this is what happens at the moment of the rebirth boom we've been separated now it's not done away with but it's been rendered powerless it's still in me thus Romans chapter 7 that's why that's so important sin is not me but sin is in me and the judgment is going to come upon that sin not upon me but here I've now been separated I've been freed that's why you see so much about our freedom we've been freed Christians need to know that now I need a third hand and I just don't have it so you're gonna to have to assume this stays here it doesn't leave but at the moment of salvation at the moment of this happening simultaneously here comes the Spirit of God and I am sealed I'm united with Christ and when I'm united with Christ I'm raised up with him in his likeness I'm identified with him now that's why God can look at me and say I don't see you condemned Romans 8 1 you're not condemned you're lovable to God Christians need to understand this well we've got a power source now the Holy Spirit of God third person of the Trinity he's now become ours we're we're now in a union with him he says you gotta know it you gotta know it you gotta know that it'd be as if we use the illustration of a of a pirate ship there's an old pirate ship and old captain Jones the meanest worst oh this guy the captain that everyone hates and finally everyone agrees we hate this guy mutiny and so they plan the hour late in the in the the nighttime and and sure enough they storm the quarters and they take the old captain this captain Jones bad guy they say we're gonna put him off the plank we're gonna put him to his death but they've already chosen that captain Smith a very good captain captain Smith is our new captain and he's gonna be the one that's gonna lead us from this point on and the new captain sees them about to take the old captain Jones this is captain Smith now Captain Smith says oh, whoa, 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 whoa. don't make him walk the plank we could but we're not gonna do that we're coming into port in about three days and when we come into port we'll dismiss him there where he is consigned to be and we'll move on forever without him and so you've got now rest for three days enjoy yourself play cards sleep don't just don't work I freed you and they're all celebrative and they're excited and sure enough the next morning they're up and they're just laying around playing cards games whatever and all of a sudden coming around the corner here is Captain Jones and Captain Jones see him laying around and he says get up and swab the deck 
And they jump up and they grab their pails and their mops and they're working, they're sweating. About this time, here comes the new captain. Captain Smith comes around and says, gentlemen, 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 what are you doing? Oh, we're working, we're, we're cleaning. Why are you doing that? Well, because Captain Jones told me to do it. Do you not know? Do you not understand? Do you not know that he's no longer in charge? You got a new captain. You don't have to do that. Leads us to the second word. The second word is consider. Verse 11, look what it says. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is a term that would be used in the marketplace. An accountant who would go to someone and say, let's see how much money, you, what you got here, and this is in light of what you have. Now you can do this and this and that. It means to reckon. He says, hey, you just, you've got to take into account what you already know. You know you got money, but you've got to understand how much you got and how you can use it. Christian, you've got to know what you've got. If not, you never walk in the Spirit. I uh, was an avid tennis player for many years and be playing tennis and got to where I played at a decent level and I be, might be playing someone that I should be winning and I get beat and I, I cannot hit my backhand for whatever reason and my backhand's going out, 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 out and he's just feeding to my backhand, feeding to my backhand, he beats me in my weakness there at that point and, and I go home and I say, what in the world happened? To my stroke today, what was going on? I might be in the shower and I'm showering away and all of a sudden I'm thinking about my, my tennis and, and all of a sudden I go, oh, 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 what was I doing with my racket head in that position? You can't hit the ball from what, what was I thinking? I considered what I knew. I had not been taking that into account. What I knew, I didn't learn anything new. I just considered what I knew. So there is a, an importance that our people have an informed mind. And you and I, as leaders, we've got to have an informed mind. And we have to reckon on what we know. But it doesn't end there. There's a third word. It's the word present. Now we're talking about the surrendered heart. It's not just what we know. It has to do with the heart. Look at verse 13. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Well, what are the members of the body? How about my eyes, what I look at, which is where I'm going to find my lust. My ears, what I'm going to listen to. My mouth, what I'm going to say which was so addressed so well last night. How about where I go, where my feet take me? What about my mind, what I think, my heart, what I embrace with affection? It's saying, God, now I realize in light of all you've done that I am now unified with you. I am I'm united with you. In light of that, your spirit indwells me. I'm going to invite your spirit to take over my spirit and you empower me. I've got to have fruit to avoid the deeds of the flesh. I cannot do it on my own. There's a man that 
our Presbyterian pastors years and years and years ago. I was a youngster. I mean, I was maybe high school age. And I'm wanting to follow Jesus and love him with my heart. And I watched this man 20 years my senior, a pastor. Presbyterian pastor, I looked at him and I said, you walk with God like no one I've ever met before. You seem to be dead to yourself. You seem to be just alive to God. You just seem to yield to him all the time. And I, I want to know, how do you do that? I'll never forget what he told me. He asked me a question. He said, do you do push-ups? I said, yeah, I do push-ups. He said, tell me, what is the maximum number of push-ups that you could do? I mean, the very, 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 very max. And I gave him that number. I said, that would be it. He said, that truly be it. I said, that would be it. He said, all right, so let's assume that I said, get down and do those push-ups. Let me see you do those. And I did. And so I get down and I get to my last push-up. And if it truly is my very, very last, I'm going to be shaking. It's going to be some of this trying to break it open. Oh, mm. And I finally get it. And let's say that he has the capability to do this. And he turns to me in sincerity, leans down and he says, I'll give you $1 million if you can do one more push-up. He said, do you think you could do one more push-up? I said, you know what? I think I probably could. Adrenaline probably would fire in there and I'd get another one. He said, let's see it for a million bucks. And I say, you got it. And I get down and it's hard. And I get to that, finally that one extra one. And I'm thinking, I don't know. And so now, I mean, I'm doing this. It's, mm, 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 mm -hmm. <clears throat> And he leans down and he says, five million if you can do one more. <laughs> so you think you'd try it? I'd say, oh yeah. He said, you know what? You wouldn't make it. At that moment, you try, but about the time you bent your arms, your chest would hit the ground. You may look up to me and say, I tried, but I can't. He said, you remember this. When you get to that point in your experience, in your walk with Jesus, that you can say, I can't. Only you can. I'll call on you. God, you do it. It's not that my will is not playing a role. Oh, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it my best. But I'm going to know I can't. And I'm going to be counting on him to do it. I'm absolutely convinced this teaching, I could not have made it through life to this point. I, I don't know how Christians live the Christian life. Without being able to constantly go back to say, oh God, thank you. I'm united with you. And I want to trust in you. Out of that's going to come things like faith. To believe God for things we wouldn't normally believe. To see God do things we would never see him do. Because outside of that, we're just trapped in willpower. We know what we can do. We know our limitations. But see, we don't know God's limitations. There is none. And all of a sudden, he does incredible things. And he gets the glory. We don't find ourselves proud by what happens in us nor through us. Because we go, God, that was you. It's your power. I close with this. I have a daily prayer. 
I can't remember the last day I didn't pray this prayer. I use this prayer through the day. It's kind of just a reminder. It's kind of a, kind of a little equipping tool as I think of it. To help me and to help those that I'm trying to equip, that I disciple, men that I'm working with. I say, I, I want to make sure you know how to walk in the Spirit. My daily prayer is this, and I offer it to them to pray. I say, just like Edwards, you know, he has resolves. Jonathan Edwards, all these resolves. Here's my resolve. Resolve to consider what I know. And as I pray, I did this morning. And I say, oh God, I'm resolved. But I'm going to consider what I know. I know that I have died to sin. And I know I've been united with you. And I know I've been raised up with you. I want to reckon on that today. I want to bank on that today. And in light of that, Lord, I present to you the members of my body. I give you my whole life. And it's members. I give you my eyes, what I look at today, my ears, what I listen to, my mouth, what I say, my feet, where I go, my hands, what I do, my mind, what I'm going to find my affection and my heart. I just want to give it to you. And God, I know I'm going to take it back. But that'll be my opportunity to once again come before you and present to you everything I've got. Pastors, let's begin the change in the PCA. For we say the people of the PCA know how to walk in the Spirit. Because they hear the Spirit of God. They hear it taught. They hear it in clarity to understand His role. And that we start inviting the Spirit to fall on us, fresh on us. And watch what He ends up doing. It begins with the pastors. And then it's all the elders and deacons and leaders and spouses and leadership of the church. Until it dribbles down to the life of the church. Folks, this is the good news. It's the good news of the Holy Spirit. You know, good news, the gospel, is more than just Jesus died. It incorporates everything. And the work of God's Spirit is the good news for Christians. Let's proclaim it clearly. Let's proclaim it often. May the work and the power of our blessed Holy Spirit change the PCA. As we pray together, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we're going to ask you, would you forgive us where we have been, though committed to you, we've been living in the power of our flesh. We've been using the willpower. And Lord, the will is there, gift from you, and we want to use it appropriately, but we want it empowered by your Spirit. So we're going to ask you right now, would you bring a wave of your Spirit across this PCA? Would you do something that cannot be accounted for by any single activity, any people particular? It's just the work of your Spirit because your shepherds are preaching about your Spirit. And your leaders are being filled by your spirit throughout every day. Grant it, we ask, in the name of our great Savior, Jesus. Amen. You can hear more talks like this by subscribing to the Gifts and Graces podcast. You can also hear more content like this by attending a seminar at General Assembly. 
They are free and open to the public. Find out times and locations by visiting pcaga.org. Thanks for listening to Gifts and Graces.